welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you have joined us. This summer, we have been reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison in the WDET Book Club. It has gone wonderfully here on the show with interviews and online at Facebook at the WDET Book Club. And this Thursday, you have the opportunity to join me for the next virtual book club event, 8 p.m. this Thursday, August 20th at WDET.org slash events. This time, I am going to be joined by Valerie Prince, who is an associate professor of African-American studies at Wayne State University. She and I are going to talk about African-American literature and art during the time that Ellison was writing Invisible Man, and we're going to talk about how women are depicted in the book. It should be a really great conversation. All of the conversations that we've been having this summer about Invisible Man and the themes in the book that are so, so present right now with us in America have been really, really wonderful. So if you haven't already, join the WDET Book Club group on Facebook. And if you can, join us on Thursday again at 8 p.m., at WDET.org slash events. Uh, you can find uh, opportunity to register for the event and then, again, join us on Thursday night. And all, as always, thanks to everybody who has participated so far in the WDET Book Club. It is one of my favorite activities as host of Detroit Today. Okay, up first today, there has been a growing concern about the stability and funding of the U.S. Postal Service. And this past weekend, that concern hit a fever pitch. And now Congress is just about ready to get involved. The post office is one of the few government services that's explicitly listed in the Constitution. And presumably, that's because our founding fathers understood how a reliable postal service is a crucial piece of democracy. But now, with Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, who is also a major Republican donor, there have been funding cuts to the agency, and they come at a time when the ability to vote by mail has never been more crucial. Here to tell us about the history of the United States Postal Service and how its current financial constraints could affect the future of this country is Matthew Totolo, professor at the West Virginia University College of Law. Matthew, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thanks for having me. And we are also joined by Crane's Detroit Business Senior Editor Chad Livengood, who reported yesterday that here in Michigan, 10 USPS mail sorting machines have been removed. Chad, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So uh, I want to start with you, Matthew. Uh, uh, start out by giving us a little bit of historical background on the Postal Service and the role it has played in this country. Okay, uh, so the post, as you were mentioning, the Postal Service is uh, one of the few government services that are actually spelled out, listed in the U.S. Constitution. And the you know free home delivery was introduced to American cities in the mid 1860s. Uh, free service provided to rural areas in around 1890. And uh, so we've had the Postal Service for 200, 240 years. Um, by the middle of the 20th century, there, you know, the USPS uh, had suffered a crisis because of, because of its infrastructure. A lot of it was built during the New Deal, and 
it was re- rapidly becoming inadequate to handle this massive growth of uh, mail deliveries during the post-war American boom, and it was modernized and expanded around this time. Um, so uh, by, in the early 70s, it became a self-funding uh, public agency, okay? Uh, so that means it doesn't take taxpayer money, generally speaking, and it funds its own services through uh, sale of uh, uh, stamps and delivering packages and mail and so forth. And uh, for the most part, the post office uh, pay, has paid its own way uh, in the, you know, since this legislation in the 1970s. Uh, in, in around 2000, USPS, um, you know, with the start of the e-commerce era, the uh, that led to a steep decline in first-class mail, uh, letters, uh, bills, and so on. A lot of uh, communication started to take place online with email uh, and um, and then eventually payment apps and so on. So there was a real decline in the post office um, revenues, but for the most part, the post office innovated around around these um, these concerns and had largely been on a, a fairly strong footing. Um, there are some issues around the post post office pensions um, and uh, health uh, health care and pension obligations. And in 2006, there was a law that was passed uh, that called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, um, which I, which essentially is where a lot of this problem really started about 14 years ago, which obligated the post office to fund pensions uh, decades out into the future, uh, fund pension and health care obligations for its workers uh, decades out into the future, and it required them to do that um, over 10 years. Okay, mm-hmm. so they were they were required to prepay or essentially into a fund that would cover pensions decades out into the future, and this put the post postal service in a really tight spot. And very quickly, their num um, they were uh, sort of sort of in the in the in the red. They weren't able to pay into this fund really really quickly, while at the same time paying workers and doing things like modernizing their infrastructure and sure. so on. Um, so they have been in a, a tight spot since this, this what they call the pre-funding mandate, which is a major, a major issue here. Um, so that, I think, is, is a real source of the current uh, con- controversy. So mm-hmm. the post, uh, Postal Service, um, you know, without this pre-funding mandate would largely be would be breaking even. That's what most experts say uh, when you look at the numbers. That they would be in a uh, they're they would be mostly breaking even, which is what they should be doing. After all, they're not a business; they're right. a, you know public agency. So um, then step into the picture, Donald Trump. Um, in 2018, there was a, a a report issued from the Trump administration, essentially buried in the fine print, call, calling for the privatization of the. Uh, U.S. Postal Service, and for major a major shakeup. And uh, the last year or so, uh, President Trump has been tweeting a lot. You know, the, U- the USPS is a joke, and it's broken, um, and other statements like this. And that, that unless the U.S. Uh, unless the Postal Service quadruples its prices, and things like this, that you know he would hold up a coronavirus funding and and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the post office, you know, and, and then uh, the appointment of Louis DeJoy to the um, as postmaster general, a Trump funder and um, 
former logistics executive with with parent conflicts of interest, at least according to a CNN report, um, comes into the picture a few months ago. And um, uh, President Trump is, has recently stated, I think maybe on um, Fox News, that, uh, you know, he's stated that, well, you know, the uh, Democrats, he says, won't be able to have um, universal mail-in voting in the fall unless they get this $25 billion bailout money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for President Trump, this, this the current situation is an opportunity for him to do something he's been wanting to do a long time which has put the post office on a path to privatization, hmm. while at the same time, um, from his perspective, helping his reelection proce- uh, prospects by making vote- voting by mail um, more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chad Livengood, uh, given that background and context, uh, talk about what we're seeing here in Michigan as the post office really struggles to provide the services at the level that it has historically and is required to, uh, what, what is it, what is going on with these sorting machines? So, uh, I confirmed last yesterday that from, uh, three union officials uh, who represent postal worker unions, uh, in Detroit, Pontiac and Grand Rapids, that at least 10 machines have been taken out of service already. And there are plans for at least three more, uh, taken out of service in Grand Rapids. These machines essentially, um, uh, process 32,000 pieces of mail per hour, Mm. Um, it's, um, I mean, so on on any given day and even an eight hour day, uh, they could, they could do upwards of, of, uh, of 2.5 million envelopes just in a single two, eight hour shift. Now, some of these plants, Pontiac and Detroit in particular are, are almost always running, uh, two or three shifts. And so, um, around the clock. So Pontiac in particular is regarded, it's, it was, to, built in 2009, it's regarded as one of the best postal uh, processing facilities in the country. Um, they they like to tout that if 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 need be, they could actually process or or essentially what what's known as postmarking or canceling um, um, all the mail for the entire country in 24 hours uh, from that facility. It, ha- it has that kind of capacity, 900,000 square feet. And and so machines have been taken out with not a lot of uh, of explanation other than well first class mail is down and yes first class mail is down it is it has been declining for several years now but the, the post office hasn't provided any kind of data to show uh, you know an exact amount that that requires reducing your capacity this is this is reducing your capacity of automation. Um, which, you know, in this age of automation is kind of surprising, um, uh, especially also since the post office is now headed into two big uh, seasons for them. One is, is election season, proce- processing and delivering absentee ballots. And two is Christmas season and, and, and the holiday season mm-hmm. and, and processing all those Christmas cards and and uh, and gifts that uh, get, get, get get shipped around. And um, at the same time, the post office has doubled uh, in, in just a number of four or five years. They've doubled the number of packages they, that they have to deliver every day, which is, you know, adds to the complications of, of the logistics of, of moving mail every day. What the union officials tell me is that when you take these machines offline, and then based on some of the uh, new rules that uh, Postmaster uh, DeJoy has put in place, uh, you 
where he is not allowing trucks to stay late uh, for mail. Now you also have fewer machines processing the mail. So when the truck has to leave, the truck has to leave, and there's no overtime uh, accounted for that. And mail is just getting left in Pontiac and Grand Rapids and Detroit. And then it essentially is, is turning those facilities into warehouses for mail. Uh, and we've we've seen this with with uh, some of the uh, we just see people are seeing this with their with their regular mail um, being delivered, particularly mm-hmm. in Metro Detroit. You hear from uh, businesses that take it usually take three days for something to be you know, moved by mail across across uh, southeast Michigan. It's taking uh, eight to 11 days now. Uh, and the, the reason that it's stated to me is that is that uh, you basically leave mail behind and then you, next day you try to catch up and you still leave mail behind and it just sort of cascades and piles up. And that's 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 what's being uh, reported. It's coming out of the particularly the Pontiac facility. And so let's talk about how this is happening, how and why this is happening. Can you link the, can you link this directly to the White House? Can you say that the president's antipathy for the post office, ambivalence about its future is the reason that these machines are being removed or is there a legitimate financial explanation for what's going on? Well, the post office is certainly in some financial strains. There's no, uh, there's no uh, debating that. Um, but uh, whether it can, it can, you know, turn the ship is, is you know, a, a business, is, you know, issues and, and uh, you know, baked into a whole bunch of other factors like labor and, and cost and fuel and all and 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 what do they what do they charge Amazon? I mean, there's there are some some legitimate questions there, but then. Uh, when you see the president out there projecting publicly um, that if he if he withholds money, he can he can stop. He thinks somehow he thinks he can stop uh, voting by mail, which we should also note the president himself votes by mail um, in uh, in Florida. And he's tried to distinguish some difference between absentee voting and voting by mail. Um, there is no difference. Uh, I mean, you, of course, can deliver your absentee ballot in person which a lot of clerks are now really encouraging, which just is, is a whole sea change of, of the reliability of the mail. I'll just give you an example. My Sunday evening, I walked outside, my neighbors um, uh, uh, popped their head out and said, hey, Chad, um, should we should we get our when we get our absentee ballots? Do you think it's uh, it's safe to to, to mail them still? Um, <laughs> these are retirees who mm-hmm. voted absentee for many years. And um, I you know, I said, you know, if if you if you for your comfort level, might as well drop it off at City Hall just to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but this that I mean, this is this is August, and we've and basically the summer slowing of the mail system has already sowed uh, the seeds of doubt about the reliability of the U.S. Postal Service, which we've always kind of regarded as the government agency that actually does show up every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Chad Livengoods, your editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and Matthew Totolo, a professor at the West Virginia University College of Law and also an expert on American public-private contracts and the outsourcing of core public functions to the private sector. We're talking about the U.S. Postal Service, which is under a lot of stress right now because the President of the United States and the person he has appointed to run the Postal Service have different ideas about how that ought to function, how the post office ought to operate. They keep talking about it being for profit. They keep talking about it maybe paying for itself 
the way private businesses do uh, was not really conceived that way. It is a public service that is listed in the Constitution as something that the government will do. Um, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us how you're planning to vote this November. Are you going to vote by mail? Did you vote by mail in the primary? And how did all of that go? Are you really concerned about voting by mail in November, given all of these things that are going on in the U.S. Postal Service? Chad Livengood reported yesterday that 10 sorting machines have been removed from the state of Michigan. Those machines handle lots and lots of the volumes of mail that uh, that we send to one another. Uh, does that make you nervous about voting in November by mail? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Also give us a call and tell us if you think the post office could do better if you think that even though it was conceived as a public service and listed as in the Constitution, that it might be a better service if it were operated as a for-profit. Uh, call and tell us why. Call and tell us whether you think other government services ought to be outsourced that way. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about the Postal Service and its effect on our upcoming elections. We'll continue to hear from uh, Matthew Totola. I want to thank Chad Livengood uh, for being here as well. Uh, we'll also get to your calls and to your comments. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for joining us. I'm talking with Chad Livengood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and Matthew Totolo, professor at the West Virginia University College of Law, about the U.S. Postal Service, all of the issues that have cropped up about the Postal Service, the way it operates, and whether it's going to be ready to deal with the crush of ballots that are coming not just here in Michigan, but all around the country in November. The president of the United States has cast his aspersions on the idea of massive voting by mail, even though he votes by mail himself. Uh, and he has directed the Postal uh, Service to, to change the way it's doing things in a way that probably will affect the counting of those ballots and the delivery of those ballots on time. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Brad in West Bloomfield. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Great mm -hmm. show as usual. Thank you. So uh, yeah, where I stand, I, I'm a 100% in favor of absentee voting, 1,000% against voting by mail. Uh, generally, I vote in person. In the last election, I uh, in August, I, I voted in person. No issues. Uh, I have in the past voted absentee if I was going to be out of town, and I would go down to my township clerk's office, get my application, get my ballot, vote, and either bring it home and read it or leave it at the desk. I, I don't use the mail. And the reason why, and I sent an email to Mr. Livengood uh, yesterday. Good morning, Chad. Um, Good morning. And... Uh, 
you know, basically, this is this is nothing new. This is just a new media narrative is all it is. I've had problems with the post office since 2016. I own a property management company, and, of course, I have a home. And literally, well, just as I said in my email, literally just the other day, I had five pieces of mail sitting on my front porch that were misdelivered uh, to one of my neighbors. Hmm. But unfortunately, misdelivered mail doesn't always end up on my front porch. Uh, it ends up what they call the plant, and it sits there for three months. Mm-hmm. And I've had uh, contracts, invoices, rent checks, literally going back to 2016, uh, that have disappeared. Um, I have a complaint with the Pontiac branch. I have a complaint with the West Bloomfield branch, and these problems continue. This, this is nothing new. This is something that's been going on, for me at least, for four years. Yeah, and, and I think... Uh... I think there has been a lot of coverage of those problems related with the Postal Service. A lot of them have to do with this funding question, uh, which is not so much about what's allocated to the post office. It is about what they're able to make off of stamps and mail delivery and, of course, the way that the Postmaster General decides to spend uh, the money. Chad, I'll give you the first crack at uh, answering Brad since he, he reached out to you yesterday. Yeah, I mean, the post office is a very complicated organization. They have to literally drive every road and street in America every day. Um, And just, uh, I mean, I'm not going to make excuses for the post office, but just think about the logistics of of getting out to Grindstone City in the tip of the thumb uh, every day, uh, rain, sleet, or snow, and delivering mail to four or five or 10 addresses out there, and then also having to canvas, uh, you know, a densely populated city streets every day. Um, There are just, you know, um, rife of problems that could, that could go wrong here. And they do go wrong uh, for some people. And, and, and the the idea that that you would privatize it though, you have to kind of question whether there'll be that guarantee that they will go to grindstone city to that last mile. The post office, it does a lot of last mile work for the private carriers for UPS and, and FedEx. Mm -hmm. And if you take that away, you take away that infrastructure. That's why people started reeling last week about the idea of just ripping up uh, mailboxes, uh, public mailboxes, that even if they're if they're lightly used, they're still part of the infrastructure. And a lot of people feel more secure putting things in their mailbox in, in a public mailbox, a big blue box, than they do their own personal mailbox, especially when it comes to filing their taxes or or mailing that ballot or, or any other types of important documents or payments. Um, uh, and also, if you've ever lived in an apartment, they don't always pick up your mail right. uh, in an apartment building. And they, even in, in, in suburbia, they don't always grab the mail. You have to leave it, you know, very, my, my post, man, I have to, I have to leave that thing displayed on the, on the mailbox in order for him to even notice it as he's quickly moving from house to house and trying to cover a lot of territory every day. And so there are any number of, of problems that happen, but if you take away the mandatory nature of it, um, then, then it, 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 um, you know, it, it no longer is a, a public service and it just becomes a, a private company that will, will cut out all the areas that uh, are least profitable to drive and, and walk to. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Totolo, the assumption that privatizing the mail, uh, making it a business would make the service better, I think is, is one of the false conceits of that argument. It certainly could make 
the mail more profitable. You could make money off of it if you cut back on service. But cutting back on service would affect the people who rely on the mail. Is that a is that a reasonable way to, to think that this through? Oh, oh, absolutely. And I think uh, Chad's answer was uh, right on point. The look the way the the way a private carrier um, the way they made it profitable uh, when in the 19th century um, or the way it would be done now would be to cut out the to be to, to to essentially remove the universal the USO the universal service obligation that the post office the post office has to deliver to every address right in the United States it's got a, 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 a as Chad says go to every street in the United States that is not a profitable business model I mean it's 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 you know it's the post a private carrier is not going to want to go to remote areas it's not going to want to ha- pick up packages from remote areas without pricing that in. So I think uh, it's impossible to talk about this without talking about service cuts and spikes in prices, which is the only way you can make uh, a private model uh, profitable. Uh, You can't have a private uh, universal service uh, profitable without being heavily regulated, without making it a public utility, let's say, which is essentially what the post office operates as. So it's unclear to me, and I haven't seen any arguments to the contrary. That that uh, it's unclear to me how the post office, given its given its universal service obligation, could be turned into a business, mm. a profitable a profitable private business. Mm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Travel in Detroit. Travel, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen, and good morning to your guests. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, actually, I'm actually a former uh, postal employee myself, so I actually have some more nuanced mm. uh, uh, information regarding mm-hmm. this, this system. First and foremost, uh, uh, I believe people should vote in person. If they can't, then take their ballots directly to the processing uh, place rather than putting them in the mail. Mm. Um, secondarily, I'm not a fan of uh, privatization. Uh, you know, given our political climate and, and, you know, geopolitical business, you know, all of those things, uh, it typically will create the patterns that I've noticed with privatization is it creates a markup for us as taxpayers, uh, reduces the the service, the level of service. It's just like you being a, us being homeowners. You know, when you have the expertise to do the work yourself, you can uh, you can actually control the quality and are you there uh-huh yeah oh Go good you can control the quality and you know but typically when you outsource you know there there's not just the inherent cost of doing business but now you're paying for the markup hmm. and that's what's been happening um finally too uh jeff bezos has one of the largest shipping companies in the country and he's well connected with our office. So a lot of times when people want to privatize something, they create an artificial crisis, tank the the business by running it poorly, instead of just installing a person who has a business acumen in the leadership to run it correctly. Yeah. Uh, Travel, I really appreciate the call and the the perspective, especially since, as you say, you used to work for the the Postal Service. Um, Matthew Totolo, I wonder if you can talk some about the effectiveness of the post office. There are there are. It's one of those things that most people have an opinion about because we all use it. We all receive mail, even if we don't have to send it. 
and everybody seems to think either that uh, that it's okay or good or that it's that it's awful, and they base that on their own experiences. But what do we know about how good the post office is at handling this service and handling it for you know 350 million people in the United States? Sure, a couple things. I mean, one, uh, I just wanted to. Um, echo what the caller the, what the caller said. That was a, uh, an excellent analysis, essentially of privatization and how it works. And um, so I wanted to I wanted to uh, to to say yeah, no, that that's exactly right. Um, privatization would uh, service cuts, and it would lead to uh, uh, higher prices for the public. But but to answer your question, look, the post office has. When polling has been done on this, the post office is the highest-rated government service. 90% of Americans approve of the post office. Now, um, 90, I, I'm not aware of any other thing that 90% of Americans approve of. <laughs> so that is, that's, a, that's a very, very high number, and it's the highest number of any uh, government. And where does, that number, service. where does that number come from? Well, how do we know uh, that? It, polling, polling was done. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't have the poll in front of me, but it's... it's uh, Polling was done on this. Uh, it was the Pew Research Center um, uh, who did it, but I can. Yeah, it, it's it's not hard to find. Yeah. So so that's one thing. The other is the when this when the U.S. Postal Service is com, is compared to other postal services around the world, the U.S. Postal Service uh, typically comes out on top. There was an International Monetary Fund study on this a while back about effectiveness and pricing in the in the comparative postal services. And what the U.S. Postal Service has been able to do in the last uh, 50 years or, uh, uh, or more has been able to create a, an incredible public infrastructure for the efficient delivery of, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of pieces of mail um, every day. So uh, millions and millions of pieces of mail every day. So in terms of its popularity and what Americans think of it, Americans think highly of it when people at when experts look at it in terms of comparing it to other postal services, the U.S. Postal Service uh, usually comes out on top. So in terms of efficiencies, I, I don't know, uh, um, and I think it was one of your callers or maybe Chad mentioned this before, that what the Postal Service needs is essentially to remove this pre-funding mandate um, to put its finances in order so that it can make the reforms it needs. You know, like any institution, it has problems it has to fix. Um, you know, you know, it, it's... Uh, has issues it needs to address, but it can't do that um, while it's suffering under uh, this artificially imposed financial mm-hmm. obligation, and Congress needs to fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, three and one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Paul in Mayfield Township. Paul, what's on your mind? Hi, Hi. Um, I voted in the last primary in person in Mayfield Township. Mm-hmm. Michigan, but it was disconcerting to me because not all the poll workers were wearing masks. Mm. And I don't really want to go through that experience again. So I'm going to vote absentee in the next election and forward. Um, I'm going to try and drop off my ballot if I can. And no condemnation of the Postal Service. I just want to make sure the ballot gets there. Yeah. Generally, my mail in Mayfield, it's it's they're pretty good, you know. But I have noticed things are slowing down. I don't get stuff as quickly as I used to. 
and I wish they'd stop politicizing the mail and make it work. Mm, yeah. Uh, Paul, my two sons. Yeah. Uh, Paul, I really appreciate the call and the perspective. Ed on Twitter says, I wanted to vote mail-in for the primary, but my ballot didn't show till the day after the vote. Nine days it took for that to be delivered. Chad Livengood, talk about the prospect of this massive mail voting that we're about to embark on and whether whether the mail will be prepared to deal with that crush of of volume given these cutbacks and given things like you reported yesterday that they're taking 10 sorting machines out of service here in Michigan. Yeah, so um, in the August primary that we had just two weeks ago, um, 64% of the 2.5 million ballots were were absentee ballots. Uh, not all of them came through the mail. A lot of people do take those ballots uh, by hand to the clerk's office. A lot of clerks have set up more drop boxes in their communities because of concerns about the uh, about the um, uh, post office and and the reliability. Uh, as of Friday, there were 6,400 um, ballots that had been had had turned up late. And that this is as of Friday. I should preface um, in talking to some clerks, like in Troy. The clerk told me Thursday afternoon they they got about 43 absentee ballots, which is about twice the number they normally get from a primary. But this was a lot more absentee voting um, because of the new law. But she prefaced, but I haven't got the mail in a couple of days. Um, and this is the clerk of Troy, the largest city in Oakland County, going several days without mail for the entire municipal government. And this is this is becoming common uh, for businesses that will go days without seeing mail, which is inconceivable for a lot of businesses. Um, but but yeah, at the same time, th- these these things do matter. I mean, in Sterling Heights, there was 165 late ballots that turned up uh, a week ago Monday. Um, and there was a, a Democratic Macomb County Commission uh, primary that was decided by fewer than 90 uh, votes in that city. And so these things actually can affect elections. It's not uh, trivial numbers. Um, and and so what what that looks like on scale um, in in a um, in, in a presidential election of our lifetime uh, is you know probably going to be much much larger. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Furman. In Detroit, Furman, welcome to the show. Oh, uh, uh, good morning. Uh-huh. Uh, my thought is, it doesn't make it seems to me logically if you know that you're having a big rush coming up, talking about the voting and the holiday season, and you want to make change to, to the system to make it more efficient. Why not wait until the rush is over, and then you can make changes if you're not trying to influence the outcome. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Furman. Uh, Matthew Totolo, talk about these changes and the timing of yeah. the changes and, and whether that marks a politicization of the mail that we maybe haven't seen before. I don't think there's any any question that the timing is suspect, and I, I absolutely agree with the caller. There, uh, there There's some legislation, I think, that's uh, pending now that would sort of freeze any changes to the post office until the uh, until early next year. Um, I think it's everybody's sense who has been watching this. And, I mean, President Trump has more or less admitted publicly um, that, you know, these, the changes, uh, slowing the mail down helps his reelection prospects. You know, um, 
he's he's he said as much i think mm-hmm. uh, publicly so i think the caller is correct the call uh, that, that that there is no reason these changes need to happen now um if at all right so uh but, you know not only the machines you're talking about but this has been happening all over the country uh from when the reports i'm seeing that you know the uh, sorting machines and other kinds of processing machines are being taken out mm. of centers around the country um other kinds of changes, too, uh, uh, I think Chad talked about earlier, where you have uh, no overtime. Uh, overtime's been cut back right in, the, right in this crunch moment. And um, drivers, uh, delivery fo- uh, folks are being asked to leave mail piled in, in uh, what amount to warehouses now instead of processing centers. So I don't think there's any question. Um, I mean, President Trump has admitted as much that the – there is a political agenda here um, uh, around not only privatization, but his, but more immediately his reelection prospects. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chad Livengood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and Matthew Totolo, professor at the West Virginia University College of Law. It was great to have both of you here for this conversation. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, an epidemiologist is going to weigh in on what herd immunity actually means. You have probably heard that phrase uttered many times over the last few months. But do you really know what it means? And is it a viable solution to the pandemic? Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today. 